He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, uh, joined by you guys on this fine Wednesday evening, Wednesday night, my time, Wednesday evening. For those of you still back home, uh, the Lakers are still just kind of uh, waiting. We are all waiting on what the Lakers are getting ready to do. Um, I have been making calls and sending texts and sending emails and answering emails all day. And uh, yeah, I think Blake sums it up pretty well here. A lot of snoring. Uh, There just isn't much noise uh, to continue to update you with. I will do whatever I can um, and offer up whatever information that I can. There have been some new reports out there. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski said that the Lakers have really been blown away by uh, D'Angelo Russell over the last few weeks or so, and uh, they have become increasingly uh, or or decreasingly inclined to trade D'Lo. Sure. Um, (laughs) uh, So we'll discuss that situation. We will uh, jump into what a quiet deadline could potentially mean. And I know that you guys hate when I do this. I know that you hated when I did it back in the, back in the summer when I did, but I do think it's worth revisiting um, what uh, some of the decisions that the Lakers have made that uh, put them in the spot here where they just don't have very many options. So uh, yeah, a ton of stuff to get to. Um, we'll start, though, with whatever new information that we have. Um, and, it, you know, basically the the new information here is that there is no new information there. Uh, you know, the Lakers are going to check back in with teams tomorrow morning as they would then be hours from the deadline. Um, as it stands right now, those talks with Atlanta still at a standstill. As it stands right now, talks with Brooklyn also at a bit of a standstill. Um, the you know teams just aren't interested in Gabe Vincent's contract moving forward. Um, that is something that developed over the course of uh, this deadline. So yeah, it's just uh, it's a, it's 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 not a great market here for the Lakers. It it hasn't been a great deadline here for the Lakers, and frankly an offseason that a lot of people liked and I liked parts of it, um, you know, has had its pitfalls to go with the aspects of it that we liked. Um, Jason Kelly writes, if LeBron leaves for nothing, does Jeannie bring, uh, does Jeannie uh, bring consequences or (laughs) is Jeannie just a bit of racism away from being James Dolan or um, Robert Sarver? Um, well, I mean, I don't think that's the only thing that splits her from those two people. But, uh, yeah, I would hope that if if the decisions that Rob Polinka has made um, lead in any way whatsoever to LeBron James's uh, departure, 
let alone early departure, the Lakers are planning on, have been planning on LeBron James retiring as a Laker. Like that has been kind of the unstated goal from both of these sides. But if LeBron looks around and again, sees an organization incapable of surrounding him with the talent to put him in a in, in position to vie for championships, then he I wouldn't hold it against him for leaving. And if he does leave, that yeah, I, I do think that there should be people facing some consequences. But I've been told, you know, that um so long as Jeannie is there, she's going to be very, very, very patient with Rob Palenka. <coughs> Excuse me, just like he is going to be very, very, very patient with Darvin Ham as they have been this season. And um, yeah, the dumb will lead the blind. But I, I think uh, at the end of the day, or I think the blind will lead the dumb is, is the better. Cause like the blind wouldn't know that they're actually following the dumb either way. It just, it does, that, that scenario doesn't really work out very well for anybody involved. Um, I will be taking questions here. So, you know, Daniel Rodriguez is asking Anthony, is there value in the buyout market for the Lakers? Um, we will talk about that a little bit later, but I, uh, I, I do want to spend as much time as I can here discussing the, um, the state of the deadline here for the Lakers and some of the things that they took for granted that has not worked out in their favor. So, you know, first and foremost, the Lakers negotiated their contract with D'Angelo Russell. And when they negotiated it uh, back this summer, essentially they had, they gave Russell and his camp, I believe it's like brother is now his agent. Um, they gave them two options. It was like, all right, option a, here is a one year, $25 million contract option B. Here is a two year, $36 million contract with a, player option on the second year and uh d'angelo russell and his camp went with door door number two and they uh and they and they kept that player option now as part of those negotiations the lakers told them all right this is still a little higher than market value as part of you guys signing this contract will you waive your no trade clause and um d'angelo russell did in in unprecedented fashion. And so, you know, you go from that and I thought, I, I think the Lakers thought, well, it's still technically a, an expiring contract because if D'Angelo Russell plays well at all, he'll probably opt out of that contract. Um, and it's still technically a little below market value, especially if it's, if they do go no, door number B or door, door number two, and and they uh you know go with that player option and he plays for an 18 million dollar season and they figured at the time that all right that'll be a contract that uh they will probably be able to move right and they planned on being able to move and the way that the market played out with this new CBA in place a lot of these teams looked at that player option with D'Angelo Russell and said, yeah, nah, not really interested in that. Um, and, and have passed on those trade offers, his market shrunk because of that player option. Now the Lakers are presenting it as, well, he's played so well lately. Um, they will, they will never, ever, ever, 
um, they, 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 they can't move him based on the way that he's playing right now. Um, and that's some spin. I'm just going to call it the way I see it. Uh, those options kind of dwindled. And based on what I've heard, the Lakers are kind of scrambling to make themselves look a little better here and, and also get a little bit of, of good hit will with uh, D'Angelo Russell again, because if they don't rebuild that goodwill with him and he decides to leave this upcoming, upcoming summer, then you lose that trade chip for nothing basically. And, and you aren't able to turn it into anything. And the Lakers won't have cap space to make up for that loss of talent. And, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, why are we worried about D'Angelo Russell leaving? What team is going to come way over the top and all these things? And I would point to the Lakers history with D'Angelo Russell. They traded him once before. They shat on him on his way out of the building, right? Magic Johnson spent a full week basically criticizing D'Angelo Russell, not calling, you know, calling, saying that he wasn't a leader and essentially holding him accountable for the fact that Byron Scott was an absolute and un. Uh, unmitigated disaster as a head coach. Magic Johnson held that specifically against D'Angelo Russell. And so they traded him. They salary dumped him. Then he spends whatever time in the league that he does. And he comes back to LA um, in a trade that like the Lakers could have traded for Mike Conley, decided to trade for D'Angelo Russell. Um, Russell costs a, a, a little bit less in that on that trade market. And, and, uh, you know, they, they, they bring him back here and, um, you know, that, that relationship has been, I would say like politely productive is how I would kind of, uh, frame that relationship between the two sides where both neither side dislikes each other. Um, I think there are some annoyances and some grievances on both sides where, I think the Lakers at various points have been a little frustrated with D'Angelo Russell's availability, specifically last year when the Lakers were vying for um, the playoffs. Um, there's obviously the playoff failures that uh, we, we watched there in the Western Conference Finals. So you have the Lakers feeling a certain way about D'Angelo Russell, but you also have D'Angelo Russell feeling a certain way about the Lakers where, okay, cool, so you brought me back. And you signed me to this contract and you essentially did so to trade me. And now that, you know, it looks like it's going to cost more to trade me. Now, all of a sudden, you're all super happy to have me around and stuff. Doesn't necessarily work like that. So as much as it is like I'm concerned that some team would come in and uh, make some godfather offer to D'Angelo Russell and that he would get paid like crazy somewhere else. He's unrestricted. He can leave for whatever reason. We see guys take less all the time. And we have seen the Lakers lose talent to free agency all the time. And um, and if you lose, if you don't trade him here and he doesn't turn and 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 he turns around and he leaves in this upcoming offseason, that's that's a big loss that the Lakers have, both in terms of talent, because I do think at his best he is a talented player but also because this is a missed opportunity to turn him into, you know, Brooklyn, for example, I am told would like to have D'Angelo Russell back. They need kind of a table setter. They would like the idea of him, you know, creating um, alongside Macau bridges, at least for a season or two while they figure out how they are going to build around bridges um, or until they decide that they are going to build around bridges or, you know, eventually trade them. I do think eventually Bridges probably gets traded this year. Um, but 
like a trade where D'Angelo Russell goes to Brooklyn, the Laker, and, and you know, alongside, I would probably say like a heavily protected first round pick, and the Lakers would get back Dorian Finney-Smith and probably Lonnie Walker. Um, if a trade like that were to come to to be, I do think that would be enough for the two sides to come to an agreement, and and uh, yet the Lakers, I I'm told want to hold on to that 29 pick for the idea that uh you know they can combine it with a couple picks in this upcoming summer more on that approach here in a second and you know if if you pass on the opportunity to, to turn d'angelo russell potentially into a starting caliber wing and then he walks at the end of the season that compounds the mistakes that you made getting you to that point right and you know, speaking of those mistakes, I know that you guys hated it when I mentioned it, but you know the Lakers decided in this in this last se- uh, off season um, that all right they are going to sign Gabe Vincent to the contract that they gave him, and then on top of that they are going to sign Torian Prince to his contract, and it was Prince's contract. You know, it, it essentially it was both of them because technically you could have used the um, non tax non taxpayer no the taxpayer middle-level exception that they used on Gabe. They could have essentially just used that on Prince had they not signed Gabe. So because they signed both of them, that essentially hard-capped them. But in hard-capping themselves, um, they made it basically impossible to keep Malik Beasley and made it basically impossible to keep uh, Mo Bamba. Both of those guys would have had expiring contracts this year. And you ask yourself, is and now like hindsight helps my case here, because, uh, you know, Gabe Vincent hasn't done anything really for the Lakers. I believe he's played five games for the Lakers. Um, and you say, like, it was the, were those signings worth the potential uh, additions to your roster that you could have made with um, two big expiring contracts in, during, in, in um, Mo Bamba and in Malik Beasley? And I know I got a lot of pushback on that concept today. People saying, well, why would any team want to employ those guys? Well, they would want to employ those guys because the guys that they would be sending out would be would be making um, you know the same amount of money, but further into the future, whereas those guys would be coming off of their books after this this season. And um, you know that was a that was a path that the Lakers took essentially. And and I I said at the time, I was like, all right, fine. This does further optimize the roster heading into the season, but it does leave you a lot less margin for error. And wouldn't you know it, the Lakers kind of miss that margin for error. They don't have expiring deals that they can um, that they can use to 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 build on with this roster. They they don't have um, those trade chips at this deadline where you know teams don't want the years that are uh, additionally attached to Gabe Vincent. They don't want D'Angelo Russell's player option. And the Lakers don't have many contracts that are expiring that aren't minimums. And that really limits what you're able to do there. So um, yeah, I, I think those things and, and the idea and the, and the, and the trend of letting players and trade chips just expire. We saw it with uh, Alex Caruso. We saw it here with with the two guys that I just mentioned in Malik Beasley and Mo Bamba, and um and and that 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 trend yeah it lowers your bill, and and it gets you under the 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 luxury tax potentially, 
but it also severely limits what you're able to do and puts you at an inherent disadvantage against teams that have higher um, salaries on their books, right? The Clippers um, are going to be players in, in this deadline, and they're going to be able to add to a roster that's already worked really well so far this season. And it's because they have a whole bunch of extra salary on their books that is not, um, you know, devoted to current players. And and yeah, it's just um, it's a it's a tough spot that the Lakers find them, find find themselves in. I'm having some some difficulties here, so I'm going to end this, and I'll I'll be right back in a second. And we're live again. Uh, apologies, everybody. We had a nightmare situation with my daughter. Uh, she was, I thought I had one of those, um, childhood proof, childproof doorknob thingies on my door to my office. Turns out she is smart enough to make those work now or, or, or to open doors despite those. So that's great news, uh, that will certainly keep me up, um, <laughs> for hours on end, uh, moving forward. So I will be picking back up from where we left off um, a second ago. But yeah, apologies for, for departing the way that I did. Um, essentially, where we find ourselves right now is, you know, and, and what we were talking about a second ago is this notion of letting assets expire and risking letting those assets expire um, before you can get anything back for them, right? It was what I was freaking out about when it looked like the Lakers could potentially um, heading into last year's trade trade deadline, not move Russ, and maybe I I don't think they ever would have bought him out. Um, but the the notion that they would um, that they might let Russ expire, and now all of a sudden you lose on all of that expiring money. Now, fortunately, they turned uh, Russell Westbrook into D'Angelo Russell and into Malik, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, and and obviously we saw the the run that the Lakers went on right afterward. Um, but I, I, you know, we saw the Lakers turn Patrick Beverly into Mo Bamba and then let Mo Bamba walk, right? They, um, had a non-guarantee deal with him that they decided to not guarantee and let him walk essentially I believe Malik Beasley. They had a player option that they did not pick up, or maybe I have that vice versa. Um, but it's, it's like, it's, it's technical semantics there that arrive at the same place where the Lakers could have, um, whether it was on draft night, they could have used those contracts and the pick that they used on Jalen hood Shafino, um, to bring in an impact player on draft night last year. They could have, uh, you know, kept those contracts on the books and had those players here this year. And yeah, they were frustrating but they would have been expirings at the, at this time of the year. And um, we keep on seeing essentially, you know, the, the Lakers operate in a series of vacuums where no, these decisions are very connected. And, and I, I think the Lakers, um, you know, on net have missed a lot of opportunities that they otherwise could have uh, taken advantage of. Uh, you know, whether it's because of they, you know, the amount of spending that they would have done, um, had they kept Beasley and Bamba, they would have blown right through, not all the way through to the second apron, but certainly through the first. Um, and, and that would have increased their spending as it is. I do expect the Lakers to make a trade or a couple of trades that bring in less money than, uh, they send out and um, get under the luxury tax. 
And we'll see if they get far enough under the luxury tax to be players in the buyout market. And if those luxury taxes impede their abilities in that buyout market. But yeah, I, I just kind of thinking in generalities here, um, you know, going back to that idea of the, the series of vacuums, the Lakers, you know, we're talking about like DeJounte Murray as like the only player on the market right now who is worth a first round pick that the Lakers feel they have a viable chance at, at getting right. Or felt at one point that they had a, a viable chance at getting um, Dorian Finney Smith considered not worth a first rounder. Royce O'Neal isn't worth a first rounder. Finney Smith is tough. Cause I think he would start for the Lakers and I would give up a first round pick for a starter. The more that I kind of think about it. Um, but like, we always think of these things as like, well, nobody else would give up a first rounder for Dorian Finney-Smith, so why should the Lakers? And it's like, well, the Lakers are in a different spot than everybody else. Um, and yeah, does that mean sometimes you slightly overpay? Yeah, but does it also mean that you give LeBron James and Anthony Davis a more viable chance at winning a championship while they're still here and healthy and 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 somehow, in LeBron's case, extending his prime? Yeah, I would say so too. And, um, you know, I... In, in kind of talking to people tonight over the course of the night, the thing that I kept on kind of lobbing out there, the theory that I kept on lobbing out there is this notion of the Lakers finding excuses at every turn here um, not to fully commit, right? Last year, they didn't use both of the first-round picks that they could have used um, at last year's deadline, and they wind up holding on to it. And you're thinking, okay, well, maybe they'll use it on draft night or they'll use it heading into the draft. Uh, nope, they chose not to do that. Well, okay, fine. Well, certainly they'll take a a player who has a chance at helping this year's team. Nope, they took a, a project. Okay, that doesn't make much sense. And now Jalen Huchofino is is you know considered by fans a bust, but that's only because he didn't live up to the expectations of being able to help this team right now when we have seen guys taken later in the draft help a little bit more immediately than um jhs has and you know here again uh they aren't it, it doesn't appear going to move that 29 pick or if they don't move that 29 pick uh then they would be again not fully committing to an, a, a a team led by lebron james and anthony davis while they're healthy and um you know they're saying well yeah we'll certainly you know, we'll we'll move those picks in the summer when you can get more for three first rounders than you get you can get for one. And yeah, that's probably technically true. But then what happens if they don't? Right? And you've kicked the can further down the road, and now all of a sudden you've wasted all of our times, right? And and that is um, you know, something that I've been thinking about over the course of the day is like if we've listened properly, I'm gonna go see, I'm gonna see if I can find this article and Anthony Irwin, LA Silver Screen and Roll. Rob Palinka doesn't believe in LeBron James. Let's see if I wrote. Yeah, there it is. So November 30th of uh, 2022, I wrote the following. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, um, I, you know, this was at a time when uh, the Lakers. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're not, again, fully committing to the, the rebuild here. The headline, has the Lakers front office actually come to the conclusion about the LeBron James and Anthony Davis era? 
Um, I'll drop this in here for those of you who want to read it yourself. But I start dating back to last season's deadline. The Lakers have actually been sending a pretty clear message to those paying close enough attention. The days of LeBron James and Anthony Davis being the driving force of a championship roster are behind us. We may not have wanted to hear it and thus paid attention to the right neon side that said, we say, we swear we're trying to compete because that was a nicer reality. Thing is, we don't choose reality. So even while leaks come from the organization about how they needed more data to see what uh, the team was capable of or how they were just waiting for the right deal to come along, the depressing, suffocating reality is they just don't believe in this core any longer. Agree or disagree all you want, but as our parents told our children, uh, actions speak louder than words. And I, um, I continue from there, right? The notion of this front office and this ownership group you know, potentially writing out what is left of this LeBron James and Anthony Davis era and holding on to that post LeBron James draft capital, whether it's to bring in a superstar this year who plays beyond LeBron James's uh, time as a Laker or, um, or they choose to hold on to it in preparation for his eventual departure one way or the other. And, you know, again, it's it's what I talked about last night. If you are thinking about the future beyond LeBron James while you have LeBron James, then you aren't necessarily, um, you know, doing your best to, you know, optimize that LeBron James area. You aren't really fulfilling your end of the bargain in 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 employing LeBron. And um, and that isn't the case with every other team in the league. And and and, you know, the fact of the matter is only one team employs LeBron. And it comes with a bit of a responsibility. And I, I don't think that in terms of just, you know, cold math here, that the Lakers have upheld their end of, of the bargain here while he, is, while he has been a Laker. And the longer that we keep on kicking that can down the road, oh, just wait. What You know, before it was like Jason Tatum. Hey, he was a Kobe fan once upon a time, remember? And then it became... Um, Trey Young, right, was the name that we heard earlier this year. Now it's Donovan Mitchell. And we keep getting thrown these, like, exciting names and these exciting superstars. And see, look, like, maybe, just maybe, they'll buy it this time. And and I, I guess I've reached that point where I'm not really willing to buy it anymore. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see this team commit to LeBron James and Anthony Davis while they're playing the way, that, especially Anthony Davis. AD is playing, having an MVP season that isn't an MVP season only because the Lakers employ a second-year head coach who's clearly in over his head and and now, in this case, might not add to a roster and Darvin Hamproof the thing. So, yeah, I, I that's the stuff that I kind of find myself um, annoyed with, and, and I, I think where the Lakers have really missed some opportunities is, is in supplying these guys um, with you know, championship level talent and, and in doing so being willing to, to lose the deal. Right. Um, this is where I think Rob Palenka being the agent um, doesn't necessarily help you because his focus is on never losing a deal. When in reality, like you can like in you, you can lose a deal, but you can win the situation. Right. You can lose the negotiations, but win the negotiation or, or win the situation. That's kind of what we saw with with Anthony Davis, where the Lakers probably overpaid compared to what other teams were giving out at the time um, or what what other teams were um, putting on the table during those negotiations. And 
yeah, the Lakers technically may have, you know, could have maybe gotten him without including like Josh Hart or maybe one less pick swap. But at the end of the day, the priority was getting Anthony Davis. And they were right to prioritize getting Anthony Davis because he helped win them a championship. And I think here we've seen over the last few years um, an unwillingness to, to, to repeat that success. And again, it's a little weird to me that you wouldn't be willing to repeat success. That's an odd thing that you would want to stay away from. So we have that all going on um, in terms of like around the league. We did see a couple trades finally happen. That was exciting, right? Where um, earlier today we saw uh, the Utah Jazz send Simone Fontecchio to the Detroit Pistons. And then um, the Pistons, you know, quickly considered Boyan Bogdanovich out for tonight's game. That certainly feels worth keeping an eye on. Um, here moving forward, but I, uh, you know, those trades, none of them featured. Oh, you saw um, Xavier Tillman go from uh, Memphis to Boston, um, bringing the trade total at, heading into this trade deadline up to nine when last year was up in the 20s. Um, Tillman, again, I was re- very impressed with him in last year's playoffs. Uh, he will go and be a third center and um, didn't cost the Boston Celtics a first-round pick. Fontecchio didn't cost the Pistons a first-round pick. Um, and, and you know, I, I do think teams are really holding on to those first with the notion of only moving them for, like, high-end NBA talent, whereas, like, I, I, I think the Hawks clearly jumped the gun on trading a whole bunch of that uh, first-round capital for DeJounte Murray, and now they're holding it against everybody else that they jumped the gun on that. So, um, yeah, I, I it's funny. As I talk about that, right, um, please talk about how the Celtics got away with trading two seconds for Tillman, but we, uh, but we cannot get a common role player. Is it the hard cap? I think that's playing a bit of a role here. Um, to the points that I was making earlier, the Lakers traded Jaden McDaniels for Dennis. And now you don't have Dennis anymore, right? After he walks for, for nothing um, in last year's deadline. So yeah, I, I, um, and now the Lakers are considering trading for Dennis again, apparently, which um, would only cost apparently a couple, you know, some second round draft capital. But again, like you traded to get Dennis, you let him, you watched him walk away um, and then now you're thinking about devoting more draft capital to Dennis Schroeder. It's just, uh, you know, uh, the process here is kind of lacking. And I know that you guys hate me mentioning um, process because it's so easy for me to just kind of rant and rave and go way into the weeds on where that process is lacking. But if you if you pay attention to a team's process, if you pay attention to any entity's process, and if you notice that it is good or bad, eventually you're going to find good results. And, you know, with the Dodgers, um, I know that people are sick of the Dodgers winning all those regular season trophies and stuff, and you would like to see more postseason success, but it's good process, I feel like, more often than not with the Dodgers. So even if they don't win um, a World Series or whatever, usually, last year being the exception, I didn't like the process that went into last year's offseason. But 
Um, normally, if the if the Dodgers fall short and it's because of injuries or guys just go cold or whatever, I get frustrated with those guys. But I never really like look at the Dodgers and say like, well, they aren't doing enough to give my favorite baseball team a chance at winning a World Series. And and I just feel like with the amount of times that we talk about luxury taxes and we talk about um, you know guys walking for nothing and this um you know reluctance to uh expend extra draft capital while lebron and, and ad are there um for concerns of the future i i i don't know i i feel like there's a lot of process there that i find myself questioning and and i wish that the lakers kind of like you know it's them and the knicks that are your two big market um NBA teams, the Knicks can't get out of their own way because their owners are moron. And the Lakers, I feel like, can't get out of their own way because they operate like a small market in all of the worst ways. The Dodgers operate like a small market, but they still spend as much as they can, right? They spent damn near a billion dollars in total salary this this last offseason, right? And and the, the Lakers, meanwhile, are like, man, you know... I, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble here, but I have heard enough people wonder at last year's off season, you know, if, if Jeannie was like low key happy that they were hard capped again. Right. Um, and, and the idea of hard capping themselves there moving forward um, is something that, that Jeannie isn't the most upset about. And, and I, um, and that's the part where I'm just like, you never want to hard cap your sport or yourself in a soft cap sport, because that really limits what you're going to do compared to what your competitors are doing. And again, like you, you know, the Lakers are barely sit above 500 right now over the course of LeBron James and Anthony Davis's time as Lakers, they have barely been above 500 and it's because of the poor process. It's because they operate like a small market um, in all of the worst ways. They don't, they spend like a small market, and and yet they don't pay attention to the margins in ways that small market teams have to. So you have like the worst of both worlds there. And and this deadline again, you know, when you look at the lack of options that the Lakers have here, I find myself really frustrated at those lack of options when it was really clear last offseason that there were ways to avoid having so few options here. And if I can see these things coming, if I could see that lack of margin for error coming, then wh why aren't the people who were making these decisions for the Lakers not also seeing that? And yeah, you could say it's just rotten luck that Gabe Vincent got hurt, but that's your second Miami point guard who got hurt for you, right? Like this isn't some new trend. There are some teams we heard um, Mike Scotto when he was on the show uh, last week mention that, some executives just stay away from Boston role players and they stay away from Miami role players. And if you look at some of the track records there, uh, Robert Williams basically hasn't played for the trailblazers uh, this year. Marcus smart basically hasn't played for the Memphis Grizzlies this year. Kendrick Nunn barely played for the Lakers in his previous stint. And now Gabe Vincent has basically not played for the Lakers. Now, like with some of these teams, when, um, you know, the, it used to be when Tibbs was in uh, Chicago, you know, some organizations stayed away from Chicago Bulls because of concern with injury. And now you have Jimmy Butler 
who has played at a really high level since then, but Miami does a lot of work to keep him upright. And they are one of the only teams, I would say, that would be able to do so given how their players seem to break down as soon as they leave. Um, the Lakers didn't stay away from those Chicago Bull teams, and they signed Luol Deng, and look how that turned out, right? And and yeah, I just, there's there's just, the Lakers, I, I, I fear do not take full advantage of the things that they can. And part of it is the spending power that the bus family has compared to some of the other owners. And part of it, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that like the bus family haven't been able to parlay their wealth that has come to them by way of their ownership with the Los Angeles Lakers into more wealth. And that to me is a bit of a red flag when like Jeannie bus is supposed to be in charge of your business stuff and she doesn't have much wealth outside of the Lakers. That should be something that a business mind should be able to relay into more wealth and thus open up more options there for the Lakers. Any business person will also say that the more that you invest into your business, the higher the, the ceiling becomes on it. And how often have we had these conversations about the Lakers not wanting to spend and not wanting to do this and not wanting to exceed this apron or that apron, whatever. And, and like, yeah, like when you, when you set those limits on yourselves, um, you know, and you, and you lower your margin for error, guess what? That margin for error eventually is going, going to be needed and you won't have it. So yeah, I, um, you know, we'll see. I'm recording this at 1119 my time. That leaves about 15 hours or so um, before the trade deadline tomorrow. And the Lakers have their work cut out for them as they, uh, you know, try to salvage a season that has been mostly pretty frustrating. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see what that looks like and then react to it when we have to uh god king tony clifton writes how much longer until genie rob and the rambi and any other long-term decision makers hit rock bottom and realize their own incompetence they've been washed well like how would they realize that like what how how would they know that they're incompetent incompetent if the only people that they talk to are themselves and they're like well it's no we can't be the problem um so i don't know how they would realize their um their own incompetence if you incubate yourself from any kind of criticism um, or employ, uh, you know, people who, who analyze your team and thus limit the amount of criticism that is out there on the market. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's, there's a lot going on. We will see kind of what looks, what this looks like um, after the deadline and we will break it down as soon as the deadline is passed and the plan right now is to have Jovan back on Friday to kind of pick up the pieces to look at, at what comes ahead. I know in my previous stream, people were curious about the buyout market. And um, look, the Lakers are certainly interested in some of those guys. Uh, should they become available? Kyle Lowry is somebody that they have checked in on. Gordon Hayward is somebody they've kept their eye on. Um, Troy Brown Jr. was just traded to Detroit, he might get bought out. I think the Lakers might be um, interested there. Uh, we will see if they dip low enough below the, the the luxury tax to be able to do that, or if doing so and bringing in those guys would, um, you know, again retrigger that that luxury tax. We will we'll, we'll kind of see, but but yeah, I I, I um, 
I consider this trade deadline a missed opportunity. And we are getting a whole bunch of spin right now on, well, the Lakers really value, uh, we really value D'Angelo Russell now with the way that he has played. And and shouts to Woj for helping Rob Polinka out there. But uh, I, I do think at the end of the day, like the Lakers plan to be able to make trades here and, um, you know, limited their ability to do so and now might not be able to do so. That's that's tough, right? So um, <laughs> uh, Cameron uh, Salepour, <laughs> if we get Kyle Lowry, I'm going to do my best to stay off Twitter and watch any Lakers games moving forward. He's a brutal watch. He was really bad in Miami. People in Miami really didn't like that experience. Um, but, you know, I guess he's technically healthier than Gabe Vincent. I don't know how long, but, you know, that is technically the case right now. Um, so I do think, though, that is going to do it for tonight's episodes, <laughs> plural, of uh, the Lakers Lounge. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, again, Aaron and I are going to be uh, live tomorrow at 12 my time, 10 a.m. Pacific, um, to discuss some of the trade deadline stuff then. And then I will probably go live again right up, running up and, until the trade deadline to um, analyze and break down some of those trades um, as they happen. If we get any kind of breaking news, as I've been saying, uh, I will go live to break that down as well. And then, um, you know, Friday we have a special kind of happy hour where uh, Jovan Buha, Buha and I are going to break down whatever we see uh, tomorrow. So until then, and until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a great rest of your day, make somebody else's, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. In sweet dreams, Avery, please stay in your bed.